Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad, a beggar, and I found bread, the bread of life, the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. I hope to expose people to this bread, that they would pursue him with all of their lives. This episode, Follow the Leader. Props to Long Island rap duo Eric B. and Rakim for the title to this episode. Eric B., a DJ extraordinaire, and Rakim, a master MC. Their collaboration was relatively short-lived, from about 1986 till 92. They did have a reunion in the mid 20 teens, like 16, 17 in that ballpark, had a little bit of a reunion there. But in their time, they were dubbed the most influential rap musicians of their time. Vibe Magazine still includes their record, Follow the Leader, as one of the 25 best rap albums ever. And I mean, who are you to argue with Vibe Magazine? So get over yourself. And I know I typically use rock or metal songs for titles, but, you know, it's good to diversify. And as you know, it's not about the music. It's about the message. Follow the leader. In the last episode, I Don't Want to Die, I discussed a prompting or conviction to become more intentional in following the Master, Yeshua the Messiah. And I referenced how... The first century disciples simply dropped everything when responding to the master's call, follow me. We looked at examples of those who expressed their desire to follow Yeshua and then justified why they couldn't follow him right at that moment or why they couldn't follow him exactly as the master instructed them. And I verbalized that through my own personal examining of my heart, that I just don't want to be among the half-hearted. In my personal study, my discipleship, and in my life, I'm seeking to follow Yeshua in every aspect of my life. Whatever I believe that looks like, what additional steps should I be taking, or what should I be adding to my faith, and whatever sacrifice needs to be made, what do I need to give up, or what area must I practice abstinence to remove distractions from following Messiah? In addition to studying scripture, I've looked at some non-canonized apostolic writings and materials, Uh, Three notable writings are the Apostles' Constitution, written in the late 2nd to early 3rd century. Also, Justin Martyr's Apology, which was written probably around the year 150. And then there is the Didache, spelled D-I-D-A-C-H-E, Didache, which is dated shortly after the destruction of the Second Temple, that occurred in the year 70. And so the Didache was probably written between the years 80 and 90 AD, or common era, whichever you refer to it as. So it is a first century writing, the Didache. In the past, I've mentioned David Platt's book, Radical, and how it really motivated me to to find out how the early church was living and how I can apply it to my life. 
living the way those initial followers of the master lived. And these early writings give a peek into what was going on among Messiah's initial followers. The full title of the Didache is The Instructions of the Master According to the Twelve Apostles for the Nations, or Gentiles. This is explaining for those, uh, the, the writing explains for those who did not have a background in Judaism, how people were to follow the Messiah, Yeshua. The apostles are not the ones who have are supposed to have written this book. It's not credited to them. It was written by other followers of, you know, as a sort of a catechism, if you will. These were people who were following Yeshua as they were following the direction of the apostles. And so, again, it's sort of like a catechism, uh, which means a summary of teaching, which is what is found in these three writings and an encapsulation of teachings from the Master Yeshua and the Torah. Justin Martyr's apology was written for Roman rulers who were persecuting Christians. He was explaining the roots and basics of the faith and why they were not a threat to the government. The Didache is uh, actually pretty short. It contains a total of 16 chapters, but they are in most cases filled with what we would call bullet points, pretty direct, specific direction and instruction. Something interesting with the Didache is that it seemingly disappeared for a while. And experts knew that it existed. There was talk about it, rumors about it over the centuries. And at some point, um, it, it, it just reappeared. Um, it hadn't been around for, for quite some time. And when it was discovered, the issue became arguments among the churches. The Catholics didn't like it because it didn't support their doctrines. The Protestants and Orthodox felt the same way. It didn't completely support their doctrines either. The issue was it was way too Jewish to be a Christian document. That's kind of the uh, what, what the, the issue they had with it was, either uh, all of those church groups. Their opinion was, this is too Jewish. And so there are several translations, as it was initially written in Greek. And of course, the translators have allowed their preconceived notions and doctrines to influence the the verbiage, and that's it's really a shame. And I've looked at a few translations and really questioned some of the some of the verbiage used. My suggestion, if you want to study this document, would be to find a Greek English interlinear version. And there there are some online you can find them, and it gives the most literal word for word translation. Others have omitted certain words or phrases or installed where there's nothing written in the Greek and uh, words and phrases have been installed to support specific doctrinal leanings, changing the original meaning of the text. 
For this episode, I would like to look at what was expected of followers of Yeshua from this early apostolic writing and how it applies to present-day disciples of the Messiah. And I thought about doing a study through this entire document, and again, it's relatively short, and that may happen. I'm not certain that that's that's where we're going to go. I'm uh, jumping on some of the earlier parts of the document. At this point, I feel like this episode is going to give some ground-level, basic understanding of the requirements for following the master, what it meant to be his disciple, and what it should still mean today. And I believe from there, Lord willing, we will take a look through some more of the Gospels, uh, teachings of the master, instruction from him, and following his way, what it means to follow him. Something I like about the Didache is that it was written about 45 to 55 years after the master's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So he was not physically walking with these individuals. They were in the same position as we are today, awaiting the return of the bridegroom. The Didache begins with the two ways, the way of life and the way of death. The way of life, of course, is the way that Yeshua's followers are to live. So we'll start reading the document. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between the two ways. The way of life is this. First of all, you shall love the God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And all things you would not want done to you, do not do to another person. Now, the teaching of these words is this. Bless those who curse you and pray for your enemies and fast for those who persecute you. For what credit is it to you if you love those who love you? Do the people of the nations not do the same? But you should love those who hate you and you will not have an enemy. Abstain from the desires of the flesh and of the body. If anyone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. And you will be perfect. If anyone compels you to go one mile, go with him for two miles. If anyone takes away your coat, give him your shirt also. If anyone takes away what is yours, Do not demand its return, for you cannot. To anyone who asks something of you, give it to him, and do not ask for it back. For the Father desires that gifts be given to all from his own riches. Blessed is he who gives charitably according to the commandment, for he is blameless. Woe to him who receives If a needy man receives charity, he is blameless, but anyone is not in need will be called to account for why he accepted it. And being imprisoned, he will be interrogated concerning his actions, and he will not be released until he has repaid every last penny. 
Indeed, it has also been said, let your alms sweat in your hands until you have discerned to whom you will give. So we'll pause there. And I assume many of you are thinking, this is right out of the Sermon on the Mount. And you would be correct. Adhering to the master's teaching is to be expected of anyone claiming to be his disciple. The writers of this document expound some on points made in Yeshua's teachings. There are some challenging statements in here that I believe clarify some of what gets argued about regarding meekness, humility, and even passivity. What I see is a contradiction to the American dream, consumerism, commercialism, capitalism, Christianity that is propagated by so many. Yeshua put his words out there, and I believe these folks, some of whom may have walked with Yeshua, but at the very least, they were under the tutelage of those who did walk directly with the Master. They provide some of the rubber-meets-the-road application for the Master's teachings. For example, in Matthew 5.40, Yeshua said that if someone asks for your coat, give it to them and give them your shirt as well. Here we read, If anyone takes away your coat, give him your shirt also. If anyone takes away what is yours, do not demand its return, for you cannot. So I don't believe that this is a reference to someone stealing from you, but in the context of someone asking for your coat, as the master taught, someone's asking for your coat, you give it to them. And then give them your shirt also. Don't ask for it back. And there's actually some translations that in Matthew chapter 5 that use the verbiage, if someone is suing you for your coat, give them your shirt also. Basically, settling out of court. Okay, you, can, you, want, my, you want my coat? You can have my coat. And guess what? Have my shirt also. And so... It, um, it, we don't ask for those things back. And if, if someone asks of something from us, we give it to them. And we give it to them and don't, don't say, hey, when can I get that back? When do I get my coat back? Give it to them. Give it as a gift. And that's something I've mentioned in the past that, that is a practice that I try to do is in my giving, I want it to be giving. I don't want to lend necessarily to anyone or to have someone borrow from me. If I have it to give, I want to give it with no strings attached, no expectation of return. Just give it, whether it's money or material items that someone needs, etc. Just give it. And, uh, you know, in our giving, we give to God. We give to Hashem. And hallelujah for that. What someone does with it, that's their decision. There's, you know, there's, we can't uh, dictate what someone does with it or get mad if they use it in a way that we didn't think was appropriate. We, uh, we give and we give to God. He'll work, through, he'll work through the other issues. So to anyone who asks something of you, give it to him and do not ask for it back. For the Father desires that gifts be given to all from his own riches. What we have comes from him, everything. Blessed is he who gives charitably according to the commandment, 
for he is blameless. Charitable giving, zedakah, is among the most important mitzvot in all of Judaism as it reflects a love for Hashem and for our neighbors. Woe to him who receives, these writers put, if a needy man receives charity, he is blameless, but anyone is not in need will be called to account for why he accepted it. And being imprisoned, he will be interrogated concerning his actions, and he will not be released until he has repaid every last penny. There are people who have genuine, specific needs, and they should, they should receive when, when offered charitable giving. If someone is not in need and they receive anyway, that, that's sin. If you didn't have that need, but you were like, well, they're handing it out, they're giving it out to other people, I might as well get some too. No, that's not where we should be. We shouldn't put our hand out and just say, well, they're giving them away, I'm going to grab some. Nope, if it's not meant for us, if we don't have that need, and, and when someone is giving for needs, it's not for future, like, well, I'll just hold on to this then. And I'll stockpile this. Now I'll have more. No, it's to meet immediate needs. For one who is truly needy, he is blameless in receiving help. One who is not in need and still receives, there is judgment. Now, I like this next statement. Indeed, it has also been said, let your alms Sweat in your hands until you have discerned to whom you will give. I like that. This is something that I have uh, begun practicing over the last few or several years. Having money that I set aside for giving on me, carrying it with me, and I look for needs to be met. Sometimes it's giving to an individual or a family. Other times, giving to organizations that are doing works of zedaka righteousness, looking for needs. And I like having that instant availability. And there are, there are many testimonies since I began doing this, just of the goodness of Hashem meeting people's needs as he reveals to me people with whom to speak. He gives me discernment and leads me. And there have been, again, just some incredible testimonies. And when I am receptive and responsive and obedient in those things, it has just been glorious to see what God does in the lives of people. And so discernment is not, as many might say, common sense. I believe a lot of people apply common sense as discernment, and I don't believe that to be the gift uh, of discernment at all. Discernment is a spiritual gift, and it's a blessing that often conflicts with or contradicts common sense. It goes against it. It's a good practice being ready at the instant a need arises. So I would challenge you to consider doing that, just having something available, however small or large, whatever you set aside for your charitable giving, have it with you so you can be at the ready to meet those needs. Next, we read about the second commandment. So that was going through the first commandment. 
the first from the Torah and reinforced by Yeshua, which is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai is one, and you shall love Adonai Elohim with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. The second commandment, which the master stated, which is like the first, it comes from the Torah as well, and as the master instructed, it is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let's take a look at how these writers define the command to love our neighbors. The second commandment. This is the second commandment of the teaching. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not be sexually perverse. You shall not be sexually promiscuous. You shall not steal. You shall not practice magic. You shall not practice sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill a child at birth. You shall not covet your neighbor's things. You shall not commit perjury. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not speak evil. You shall not bear a grudge. You shall not be double-minded nor double-tongued, for the double tongue is a snare of death. Your words shall not be false or empty, but fulfilled in your actions. You shall not be greedy, nor a swindler, nor a hypocrite, nor bad-tempered, nor proud. You shall not plot against your neighbor. You shall not hate any man, but you shall reprove some, and you shall pray for others, and others you shall love more than your own life. So, from that, that portion there, we go into fences, what are called fences, but just a quick overview of this list of items. You can see in here much of this, again, coming from the Ten Commandments with some expounding on there. And yes, if some of you are wondering about the word abortion being in this, that was a practice back then. And particularly, it was, uh, you know, among the pagan nations and Rome, who was in authority and in power at this time, that was something that was used. It was done. And prostitutes would be forced to have abortions because most men would not pay to use a prostitute who was great with child. And so in order to keep prostitutes generating income, they would be forced to abort and kill their unborn child. And no, no killing children at birth either. There were sacrifices that were made to Molech and so forth. Just some deplorable practices that that had happened. And you can read through or listen to or read through the rest of what we went through. And again, most of these things come directly from the Ten Commandments or are branches off of those. And we see the expanding talking about being double-minded and double-tongued. And it's a snare of death. Don't let your words be false or empty. Fulfill them in your actions. Do what you say, right? Walk the talk, talk the walk, walk the talk. Not to be greedy or a swindler or a hypocrite or bad-tempered or proud. Don't plot against your neighbor. All right. I'm going to move forward on here. There's there's so much in there, but I think we get the gist of what is being said here as to how 
a follower of the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, should live and behaviors they should not engage in. If we truly love Adonai Elohim and we truly love our neighbors. So we're going to take a look at fences. That's what it's listed as in this, in this document. And these are practices that protect us from the snowball effect of sinful behavior. The fences. My child, flee from every evil thing and everything that is like it. So not just the things that are obviously evil or sinful, but even things that resemble evil we're supposed to flee from. Is what I'm doing, saying, watching, or listening to drawing me closer to Hashem? If it's not, let's cut it out. Do not be angry, for anger leads to murder. This direction is particularly challenging. Do not be angry, for anger leads to murder. It's particularly challenging and sobering. And I believe it to be directly tied to what Yeshua said in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, starting at verse 21. You have heard that our fathers were told, do not murder, and that anyone who commits murder will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who nurses anger against his brother will be subject to judgment. That whoever calls his brother, you good for nothing, will be brought before the Sanhedrin. That whoever says, fool, incurs the penalty of burning in the fire of Gehenna. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, the Bible says, be angry and sin not, so I can be angry. The Didache is contradicting scripture. So I, I guess it would be really strange for someone to want to write off or dismiss the Didache for saying, don't be angry. Like if that's the issue you're going to pick with it, I think you might have some anger issues you need to work on. Little emotional regulation skills. I don't believe the writers are contradicting what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4. Paul wrote, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down before you have dealt with the cause of your anger. Otherwise, you leave room for the adversary. So, holding on to harboring, nursing anger leaves room for the adversary, Hasatan, our enemy. I believe that the writers are talking about harboring, speaking on, and acting on anger, which is clearly the spirit of what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So let's go ahead. I want to jump down to verses 31 and 32 of Ephesians 4 and see where Paul was leading with what he, with what he said there about be angry but don't sin. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, violent assertiveness, and slander, along with all spitefulness. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, and forgive each other, just as in Messiah God has forgiven all, has also forgiven you, just as in Messiah God has also forgiven you. Paul is talking about a process of purification for followers of the Master. 
And he's done this, and Peter did it in his writings as well. Add to your faith, love, and so forth. And he went down, and we went through we went through that uh, in Second Peter recently in an episode. The the list of things, this purification process that occurs. Paul is doing the same thing here, and he's identifying the positive things that we need to add in verse 32, but in verse 31, he's, he is listing off the things that we need to remove from ourselves. And so it is part of this purification process that we go through as followers of the master. We do want to be in better position, more sanctified, more purified today than we were yesterday or this day, this year, as opposed to where we were last year at this time. We should be moving more towards godliness and looking more like our master, the one we declare our Lord and our Savior. So Paul is talking about a process of purification there. And you know, if we keep in mind that this portion of the document, the Didache, is referred to as the fences. So these are protective factors to prevent the snowball of sin. Anger leads to murder. Even as Yeshua declared, if we avoid anger and angry behaviors, we won't ever murder. Moving forward. All right, as we read on, do not be jealous, nor argumentative, nor hot-tempered, for all of these things give birth to murder. Here's some more fences, folks. We have to look at ourselves. Please, when we read these things, don't think about other people. And, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so-and-so, he's so argumentative, or that guy, yeah, that dude's so hot-tempered. We have to look ourselves in the mirror, the mirror of the word of Adonai. We have to look at ourselves with these things. Sure, other people have faults. Other people have issues and flaws. And it's some of the easiest thing to do is, and the church, finding, finding fault with the church as a whole or with members of the church, that's, it's the easiest thing on the planet to do. And the reason I say that is because the world does it and the church does it. Like everyone does it. Just fault finding with people who claim they are Christians or followers of the Master Yeshua, believers in God. And, you know, it's like picking up a rock and saying, hey, I'm going to throw this rock. I bet you I can hit the ground. Yeah, congratulations. That's not hard work to do to find fault in other people. You want to do the hard work? You want to do the real work? Look in the mirror. As you read and ponder these things, don't deflect to others. We need to think about ourselves in these things. Do not be jealous nor argumentative nor hot-tempered, for all of these things give birth to murder. My child, do not be lustful, for lust leads to sexual promiscuity. Do not speak obscenely, and do not have wandering eyes, for all of these things give birth to promiscuity. There are some folks who think it's okay when in safe company, air quotes, to make inappropriate jokes or comments. These are the small pebbles that make for great ripples. We have to remember the serpent is the most subtle of all the, all the creatures. 
it starts with small compromise, with avoiding the smallest of disciplines, which then build into a burning forest of sin. We, we need to set ourselves up for success, setting boundaries. If a conversation or a joke is inappropriate in one group with one group of people, what would make it appropriate with another? It isn't. It isn't necessarily. But we, we can sometimes be chameleons and we will play to whatever the crowd is that we're with. We have to stop that. We have to be consistent in who we are so that there's never a question of whom we follow, that we are consistent in our, in our desires to follow the Master Yeshua. All right, moving on. My child, do not deal in omens since it leads to idolatry. Do not be an enchanter, nor an astrologer, nor a magician. Do not even be around such things, for all these things give birth to idolatry. And idolatry throughout the scriptures we see as compared to uh, infidelity. It's, it's compared to committing adultery. All of these things. We should not be associating ourselves with these types of behaviors, even dabbling or playing around with them. Why open those doors? Start, you know, start reading and buying into your your horoscopes or things like that. Oh, it's just, oh, it's just for fun. It's just for fun. Well, but I act this way because I'm a Libra, or I act this way because I'm a Pisces. Pass. <laughs> no. We're not supposed to be involving ourselves in these things. There's nothing about them that bring glory to Hashem. They are all counterfeits of him and his power. We should not deal in any of those things. As followers of Yeshua, my child, do not be a liar since it leads to theft. More snowballs here. If you start off lying, it leads to being a thief. Do not be greedy or vain, for all of these things give birth to theft. My child, do not be a be not a complainer, since it leads to blasphemy. Do not be stubborn nor evil-minded, for all of these things give birth to blasphemy. How does being a complainer or being stubborn or evil-minded lead to blasphemy? When we complain about our situation, our circumstances, not being what we want um, or believe that they should be um, what they should be, right? We believe, well, our circumstances should be better. Our situation should be better. I, it, you know, my, my car shouldn't give me this problem. My job, my boss, all of these things. What we're really saying is God has not been good enough to us. He has not provided appropriately for us. He has not been providing properly. He is not caring for us the way that he should. And we sit around and we pout about it. Think of his children wandering through the desert, whining and complaining, though they were provided for. Clothes that didn't wear out. Always had a roof over their head. Always had food for their bellies. And they complained. And Hashem explains to Moses, they're not complaining against you. They're complaining against me. 
That is blasphemy to declare that the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai, is insufficient. And that's what we do when we whine and complain about things. We are saying that God has not been good enough. He has not put us in the right situations. And, and you know, we see what happened in some of the cases of those who did complain and murmur. And they faced immediate judgment. And please don't just focus on them, the folks, you know, the, the children of the Most High wandering through the desert and say, yeah, wow, they, they should have been more grateful. Um, hold the mirror of God's word to your face and look and examine yourself for where you murmur and complain about your spouse, about your friends, your job, your boss, the government, all of the things is Adonai enough for us or not? If he is, then we have nothing about which to complain. We continue. Be meek, since the meek shall inherit the earth. Be patient and merciful and sincere and quiet and kind and always fearing the words which you have heard. Do not praise yourself. And do not let arrogance enter your soul. Do not join your soul with a pompous person, but walk only with the righteous and the humble. For myself, I have certainly at times walked with pompous and arrogant people, be it in uh, my business, the business world, and even in faith and in a faith community. And I will tell you, it has never served me well. I find myself further from God being drawn away from my relationship and reliance on Hashem to one of self-sufficiency, where I begin to become arrogant and prideful in my, my own self and my abilities. I am grateful. Hallelujah. I am grateful that my eyes have been opened at those times, either by a simple word from a loved one, particularly my bride, or the inner witness of the conviction from the breath, the wind of Elohim, the Ruach Elohim, the Holy Spirit. Bad company corrupts good morals. Are the people you spend time with, are they more influential on you, or are you influencing them towards the light? If someone is influencing you towards light and a closer relationship with Hashem, of course, that's not bad company. But if someone has negative characteristics and traits and they are pompous or arrogant or any other negative traits and they have stronger influence on you because of their personality, time to set boundaries and even in some cases sever the ties. Bad company corrupts good morals. Whatever happens to you, back to the Didache, Whatever happens to you, accept it as good, knowing that nothing is done without God. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This one hurt. Reading this one, this it stung. I was reading through this and studying with, with a friend, um, doing some discipleship, and we reread this statement I don't know how many times. Whatever happens to you, accept it as good. As good? 
whatever? Really? This one's difficult. But I believe it to be accurate. And again, this is what the early believers were practicing, were taught to practice. Nothing happens without God. Nothing is outside of his sight or knowledge. It may be something, a lesson that we need to learn. It may be an area where we need to grow or to be refined. It may be to your immediate benefit, or it may be to our immediate discomfort with eternal ramifications and and benefit. Whatever happens to you, accept it as good, knowing that nothing is done without God. Wow, that'll remove the murmuring and complaining. We are to rejoice in suffering. We're to praise in our trials, to count it all joy when facing diverse trials and tribulation. Hallelujah. Come on, get happy. (laughs) Accept it as good, whatever it is. That's a challenge. Continue that work. Father, continue that work in me and in all my household. And continue that good work of accepting things as good, whatever they be, trusting you and your faithfulness. Hallelujah. For the sake of the Master Yeshua, the Messiah. Continuing in the Didache, my child, remember him who proclaims to you the word of God. Remember him night and day and honor him as the Lord. For wherever he speaks, The Lord himself is there. Yes, we are to honor our leaders, teachers, pastors, rabbis, as though honoring the master himself. They are his representatives leading and teaching us to follow Yeshua, instructing us in the way we should go. Every day, seek out the company of the saints that you may find rest in their words. Fellowship and discipleship with brothers and sisters keeps us connected in our faith. Daily, somehow, finding contact and connection with brothers and sisters. No man is an island. And there, you know, we read in the book of Acts about how they, they met, they gathered together daily, breaking bread and sharing the word. Does this mean... Every day of the week was a church service, as some might call it, or a complete, you know, gathering of the fellowship. I don't believe so, but I believe that daily people were gathering with different members of the fellowship, different brothers and sisters gathering for it and for different reasons, sometimes for a more intentional Bible study time, studying the scriptures, other times breaking bread and having a more relaxed, casual fellowship. But meeting with brothers and sisters consistently, keeping us connected with our faith and with Hashem. Do not cause division, but bring peace toward, uh, between those who dispute. Many enjoy playing the role of the divisive, fault-finding, pot-stirring, and promoting chaos. We are to be peacemakers and unifiers, healers of the body. We should not choose sides, 
We should promote understanding and direct people to Yeshua. The more we focus on our commonality, the more galvanized we become in unity. Judge righteously. And that's a specific quote from the Master Yeshua. There are some who say the only, the only thing Yeshua said about judgment is don't judge lest you be judged. Yeshua did say, judge righteously. Don't, do not favor one side when you reprove others. This is back to the Didache. Do not favor one side when you reprove others. Do not be double-minded when you consider whether or not a thing should be. Do not hold out your hand to receive, only to pull back your hand when you should give. If you have gained something through your work, give it away as a ransom for your sins. Do not hesitate to give nor complain when you give. Do not hesitate to give nor complain when you give. For you know the good paymaster of your reward. We should be giving, folks. And yes, after, after the collapse and destruction of the temple, different things were put in place of the sacrifices, the, the, the temple sacrifices. Times of prayer, speci- the specific times of prayer were enhanced at the times of day that sacrifices were made and giving, giving, making sacrifices in our giving. Do not turn away from anyone who is in need, but share everything with your brother. And do not say that anything is your own. For if you all share in the heavenly things, how much more in earthly things? Okay, I'm going to read that last statement again, because this is another one that really uh, stood out to me. For if you all share in the heavenly things... How much more in earthly things? I was stricken when I read that. And I realized the idea should be a common understanding for a believer. I've just never heard it put so blunt and so plain. When we enter the coming kingdom, by the grace of Hashem, through the Master Yeshua, when we enter the coming kingdom, clearly we will have all things in common. It is it's just going to be as it should have been from the beginning. That being the case, we are to practice that behavior now. Share everything with your brother and sister. Don't say anything is yours. We own nothing. All we have belongs to Hashem. But many of us are constantly asserting our ownership. My house, my car, my money, my food, even my family, my friends. In the Hebrew language, there is no possessive pronoun like my or mine. For example, in the case of the woman I frequently call my wife, the reality is I don't own her. She's not mine. She doesn't belong to me in that sense. Bernadette is a wife, or a bride to me. That's who she is. And no, I'm not sharing her, BTW. 
when it comes to material possessions, though, that, uh, you know, that's it. They are not mine. They are items that I possess. If I say they are mine, that sets a divisive boundary. Um, I, I have belongings. All that I have belongs to Hashem. I'm simply the distributor of those things. Some are for my use and some for the use of others. Think about Joseph in Egypt, the resources of the nation of Egypt at his disposal. All of these resources because he found favor in the eyes of Hashem. Did he hoard them? No. He made sure they were properly distributed to the people. That's how we should be with our brothers and sisters and things that are in our possession. Each one doing their part. No one doing without. As it will be in the coming kingdom, so it should be now in our daily practice. Do not relax your control over your son or your daughter, but from their youth teach them the fear of God. Do not give a command in your anger to your servant who trusts in the same God, lest he ceases to fear the God who is over both of you. We don't want to be a stumbling block causing people to lose faith. We need to treat all people as we would, as we would like to be treated. For he, God, does not call men according to worldly status but he comes to those whom the Spirit has prepared. And we can see this, this practice you know, uh, with employee-employer relationships where as an employer, sometimes people get really harsh, they get heated, angry in how they direct people or how they command people, and it just comes across as really, it, it comes across as though there's people will question that leader's relationship with Hashem, or it will cause others to not be interested in a relationship with Hashem. Because if you treat people like that and you say you're a believer, well, pass. I'm not interested in that. And you who are servants, be obedient to your masters as to God in respect and fear. That's how we're supposed to serve. We serve even our employers as though we are serving Hashem, the Most High God. We should serve that way and not allow ourselves to be distracted by the personality behind the desk, but know that we serve in all the things that we're doing. We are serving Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. Never Forsake the Lord's commandments, but you shall guard the things from which the things which you have received, neither adding to them nor taking away from them. This again, directly from the Sermon on the Mount, what the Master said that not a single pen stroke would be removed from the Torah or the prophets, not a single pen stroke would be removed until all until heaven and earth pass away.
confess your sins in your gathering, and do not go to prayer with a guilty conscience. This is the way of life. So that's the first portion of the Didache, the way of life, a simple, concise document laying out the foundational teachings and understanding a follower of Yeshua must grasp and adhere to. If he is our master and we desire to follow the leader, we need to know what is required of us. These were some of the basics one was expected to learn and acknowledge even before being baptized into Messiah. When the Master calls us, follow me. It is not a put-your-toe-in-the-water situation. Well, let me see what this is all about. It's jumping in with both feet, with complete abandon to him. Count the cost. It will cost us everything. In truth and in reality, it costs us nothing. And what we gain far, far exceeds anything that we would give up. If one listens to this and or reads the teachings of Yeshua and thinks, well, that's not what I signed up for when I prayed that prayer, then I would say I, I am completely unclear on the concept and description of your faith because it would, it would not coincide with Scripture. What you are wishing for is something that is unscriptural. You have been sold a bill of goods that will leave you with ash and dust in your mouth and where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We experience the most perfect and true liberty and freedom in Yeshua. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. It is so close that the Messiah has been identified as Yeshua of Nazareth. Believe in him. Obey the commandments. Surrender every aspect of your life to him and let him live through you. Thank you for giving a listen. Please study to show yourself approved of God. There is a lost and dying world that desperately needs to know our leader, that they may follow him. Let's go out and give him heaven. Until next time, may the favor of the Master Yeshua the Messiah, the Righteous One, earned in the eyes of Hashem, be upon you and all your household, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding reign in your hearts and minds in the Messiah Yeshua. Grace and peace. Chain Shalom.